Welcome. Hi. I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Kia ora team. Hope you're having a great week. Uh, now this week I'm super excited to bring to you my conversation that I have with Dr. James O'Keefe. So Dr. O'Keefe is a cardiologist and medical director of the Charles and Barbara Dubok Cardio Health and Wellness Center at St. Luke's Mid-American Hearts Institute. It's an enormous practice of more than 60 cardiologists. He's also a professor of medicine at the University of Missouri in Kansas City. Dr. O'Keefe has authored best-selling cardiovascular books for health professionals, including The Complete Guide to EKGs, Dyslipidemia Essentials, and Diabetes Essential. He has also authored or co-authored over 300 academic studies in the broad area of lifestyle and disease. And I became aware of Dr. O'Keefe uh, many years ago, actually, and his work on the athlete heart and had the pleasure of co-interviewing him with Bev over on Fitter Radio back in 2014. More recently, I heard him on the Peter Atia show, The Drive, and I really wanted to chat to him all about the athlete heart, um, any new and up-to-date information, and his recommendations in and around longevity. So this week, um, James and I talked about how he ended up basing his cardiology practice on lifestyle intervention, who is at risk of experiencing heart issues with too much exercise, and who isn't, his recommendations for supplements to reduce risk of cardiovascular disease for athletes and non-athletes, his recommendations for optimal health, and his own daily practice for overall health. And in this episode, we mention a number of studies that James has co-authored or authored, and I'm linking to those in the show notes. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Dr. James O'Keefe. Kia Dr. O'Keefe, James, it's lovely to have you with me this morning. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure, Mickey. So now we have spoken before, many years ago, actually, on Fitter Radio podcast, uh, another show which I'm a co-host of. And, you know, we talked in that interview about the athlete heart, which will be the, the basis of what I really want to chat to you about today. But, you know, I was looking through um, PubMed, which is kind of like my Instagram. You know, I love it that much. I'm on there all the time. And, you know, the range of, of publications that you have to your name um, with regards to menopause, COVID-19, erectile dysfunction, Alzheimer's, they're very broad, but obviously they have this underlying basis of, you know, they're lifestyle related. Is that unusual for a cardiologist to, to kind of have such a broad interest and expertise? Well, I suppose um, I went into cardiology because I was like yourself, an athlete, and I was fascinated by the, the, you know, the function of the heart and, um, and I got all trained up. In fact, I did interventional cardiology, you know, learning mm -hmm. to do stents and, and those kinds of things um, uh, to, fix, to fix hearts that were sick. And, uh, but then after, um, after doing that for a year or two, after, you know, fully trained, finally launched age 32, 33, after like literally, you know, being in school, you know, my whole, well, up until age 33, um, then I, I did that for a year or two. And then I realized, you know, this is not the best way to treat heart disease. Mm. It's really much more effective to think about it from a prevention standpoint. Mm. Even once things have happened, you can really turn things around. So, um, so I'm in a big group of cardiologists, like 65 of us, and I'm a non-invasive cardiologist. I focus, I run our, you know, our prevention programs mm. and it's, it's like, the golden age of prevention. We have so many really, really great therapies and strategies. And, and of course, exercise is one of the centerpieces of mm. our preventive strategy. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of other things, you know, diet. I do a lot of, with diet and supplements and sleep and stress and, you know, uh, medications. So, um, so yeah, my, the, kind of the sort of the thread that, that ties all those together is, um, 
is sort of like looking at diet, lifestyle, and other factors that will help us to keep our heart healthy, to, to make it healthy if it's not healthy. But you know, the heart almost more than any other organ system it responds very quickly and very robustly to, um, to the right diet and lifestyle. Yeah, so interesting. And, you know, you mentioned that you were an athlete, um, are an athlete, as I am an athlete as well. And, you know, it's, I think it's really interesting, your work in the field of kind of athlete heart and how, you know, we, you know, as a general population, exercise is really good for us. But then, of course, there is that dose response relationship, which obviously you've spent, you know, a lot of your career kind of focusing on. I'll tell you, um, James, the first running book that I ever read was Jim Fix's um, running book. I can't even, I think it was just called Running or something like that. And being devastated to read in the back cover after absolutely just like devouring the book that he died of a heart attack whilst doing what he loved best, running. And Noah, he was middle-aged too. He was like 50 or 48 or something. Yeah, really I know. Tragic. How, like, how did you feel when you kind of, I suppose, either did the light bulb kind of go off in your head or, or what did you discover that made you go, hang on, there's something, something's not quite right here about people who exercise and that dose response relationship? So I was a little surprised. And of course, uh, you know, I should say I'm a lifelong exercise addict and mm. I was, you know, like, you know, heavily addicted at the time. And I think it's a good addiction. I always tell people, yeah, you can overdo exercise, but it's better than, it's a lot better than overdoing, you know, cocaine or, or, or alcohol or, you know, abusing your partner or, you know, like, like a lot of people, you know, like life can be stressful, right? Especially mm. like this is a perfect example. And, and like, if you're in an exercise habit, you know, you might be all stressed out about COVID. You, you know, go for a run or a swim or do some yoga or lift some weights or whatever. You know, you come back, you're, you know, you're chilled out. You're, mm. you're happy, you're more relaxed. It's a really great coping mechanism. And by the way, it's perfectly natural. You know, this is the way we're meant to kind of, you know, diffuse stress. Like the mm. heard about tiger chasing us. We run as fast as we can and we get away and we come back. We can, that was really scary, but everything's okay now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. So, so it is a natural way to reduce stress, but um, really from the beginnings of the exercise science movement, and really from the beginnings of the marathon, as you know, Pheidippides like, was, a, uh, was a herald messenger and he would run messengers around and this was a particularly busy part of the, I think it was the Greco-Persian war in 491 BC. And he had run 165 miles in 48 hours before this. And on the final day of the war, they beat, the Greeks beat the Persians and he ran 26 miles from Sparta to Athens. And on arrival, he said, you know, victory is ours. And then he fell over dead. You know, So like I could raise a little red flags right there, you know, but, <laughs> but, um, but so, but Paffenbarger, there's a guy named uh, Ralph Paffenbarger, who mm. is a, uh, a real, one of the pioneers in exercise science. And he even said way back in like 19, this is like 30 years ago, 35 years ago, he had a paper in New England Journal of Medicine that showed in these Harvard graduates that they followed for several thousand uh, graduates followed for, you know, 15, 20 years, that sure enough exercise, you know, there was this dose response uh, relationship that, that, that was the steepest at the beginning, going from, from sedentary to, to moderate. And, you know, like you got a lot of reduction in premature mortality. Mm. And then it, it, it plateaued out. And then at the end, there was like, it's this reverse J curve, you know, mm -hmm. it turns back up, it sort of plateaus, and then it turns back up. So that the people doing the highest, the the small, per, small percentage, you know, less about 2% or less, mm. doing extreme uh, amounts of exercise seem to get not as much benefit. They, they, it was no, by no means did they lose all the benefit of exercise, but they mm. didn't have life expectancy quite as good as the people who were um, doing less extreme amounts. And, and so he came away saying, oh, and then another pioneer um, that you probably know the name of um, Ken Cooper used mm. to say, you know, looking at his dad, he said, if you're, if you're running for more than 15 miles per week, you're doing it for some reason other than health. Yeah. Because you see this plateau after, you know, like 15, actually, you know, some studies show as, uh, as little as six or seven miles a week of running seems 
seems crazy, but but the point is you get this full benefit, like 40% reduction in premature mortality. If you're yeah. running five or six or 10 miles a week or, or 15 or 20 or 25 or 30, you start getting above 30, mm. 30 then, then you start to lose some of the benefit. And that's mm. just with running and on it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think you can overdo it with, with other types of exercise too. Yeah, and do you and you talk about the the reverse J curve in one of your um, recent publications on kind of the athlete heart, I believe, in the last year. And I will link um, the Paffenberger, um, Ken Cooper, and your publications to the show notes. And you talk about the strenuous physical. That, that was called training for longevity, right? Yes, it That's was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. So we kind of go through all the data there and, mm. and really make the point that. You know, you don't need to like you don't need to baby yourself about exercise, but especially once you get past age 35 or 40, certainly mm. 45, your heart's not quite as resilient. And so, you know, you, by no means would you give up exercise. But, you know, I kind of I kind of did it myself as like backed off, stopped competing and and stop, you know, trying to, you know, be as fast and and uh my endurance, you know, compare myself to my 20 year or 25 year old or 30 year old self. I said, you know, that's just not realistic. And, yeah. and, and I'm going to exercise more for the, um, for the enjoyment and, and do more, you know, walking rather than running all the time. And of course I wore out a hip too, from running. I needed a hip replacement uh, about, yeah. three, about three years ago. Um, but, um, but I still I swim a lot. I walk 13, 14, 15,000 steps a day, nearly every day. Mm. I do yoga once a week and I lift weights two, three times a week. And so, and I like the bike ride. So I'm still, you know, probably spending as much time exercising, but I just not the intensity. Yeah. Yeah. That's because you did mention it's the, the strenuous physical activity that could potentially be um, one of the kind of deciding or influencing factors, right? And it's figuring out what that what strenuous is, and I guess um, personally, that is, I'll be interested to hear what you think. This is um, my my heart rate has always run high. So I started being active at a young age, at about well, no, actually not young, thirteen. Okay, I was a real bookworm up until then, and then I just decided to get fit. Not sure why. Um, and uh, but I would so I would attend gym classes every week for. Uh, sorry, like most days of the week after school, like circuit class and body attack and whatnot, I'd jump on their fitness tests that they would do like every three months. And I would be devastated every time I would fail because it was based on heart rate. And uh, I will go zero in the first couple of minutes of jogging, feel ever, and my usual pace where aerobically it feels great, my heart rate about 160. And I'm 43, so that's you know it's it. Are there individual differences in and around that stuff, James? Like the the heart rate zones, and is it a perception of strenuous? Because for someone else, a heart rate at 160 at my age for them that's you know them hey. killing it. All but right. for me, it doesn't feel that way. Is it, or am I deluding myself? Actually, no, no. So these really good questions, Mickey. And um, number one, women even for any level of fitness, women tend to run a higher heart rate than men. And, and men who have a, run a high resting heart rate have a bad prognosis. Mm. It's the same for women, for whatever reason. Women like yourself, my wife runs a heart rate like in that range too, and my mother, you know, and you know, it's a lot of people who are fit, yeah. who stay, who are females, their heart rate is higher than it would be for a male. And actually the fact that your heart rate goes up fast, you know, it goes up to a high level, that's also a good thing. Mm. You know, it's, it's, you know, our heart rate, there's that, that old um, formula that 220 minus your age, yes. you know, so, um, so your heart rate shouldn't get above 177 beats a minute mm. ever, you know, you probably can get it. You know, my guess is we probably get, and yeah. that's a good thing. Okay. It turns out people who can't get their heart rate up to where it should be, that's when that's that's actually a worrisome sign for men or women. Not terribly worrisome, but still makes you worrisome. Um, and I really think love, people love to really focus on on heart rate. Yeah. To be honest with you, I, I um, have a Fitbit that monitors my heart rate all the time, and the only time I really pay attention to it is I, I look at my um, uh, my resting heart rate while sleeping. And, and yes. look at the average, you know, and if I'm overtrained or sick or stressed or underslept or whatever, my heart rate will start coming up. Yeah, interesting. And, 
something's wrong, you know, like I need to, I need to do something about this. Um, but like, I'm, I think you can just use perceived exertion, mm. like, you know, and a good, a good, um, a simple sort of uh, way to, to say this is strenuous exercise is if, if it's heart pounding, sweat producing exercise, Yeah, that's strenuous. You know, if, if, you know, or if it's, or if, you, if you're exercising and you can't really carry on a conversation very well. Yeah. That's strenuous exercise. Yeah. You know, the heart rate level is going to be different for everybody. So I'm not one who tells people to obsess about heart rate much. May you seriously have made my day. This has been worth it. We could, we could stop this right now and I would be just stoked. Because <laughs> that is something that has legit been on my mind. Like I've just thought about over the years, particularly with, um, and I love um, Dr. Phil Maffetone's work on uh, maximum aerobic function, the MAF testing and, and things like that. And, you know, it's, I've always really struggled to be in a position where my heart rate is low enough to kind of train at the rate with which you're recommended to train to get the best out of you know that particular session because I'd lit I'd almost have to like be standing still like yeah yeah not relevant yeah not relevant you just need to like you, you know what you know when you're exerting mildly or moderately or or strenuously and you just go by that and you can do a you know you I mean I think heart rate would add nothing to your sort of like, um, you know, the benefits of your training. Nice. Thank you, James. That's awesome. Um, now, I looked at some of the information in and around the athlete heart and what could possibly go wrong. And of course, the first thing I think of is um, arrhythmias with a potential increased risk of atrial fibrillation in endurance athletes and of course if I did say anything wrong please correct me because this is just kind of going on on stuff that I've read who specifically is at risk of arrhythmias well Mickey you're right uh, atrial fibrillation is probably the most common and most um, sort of concerning arrhythmia that athletes uh, come up with and these I've seen it in 30 somethings who were world-class um, distance runners, yes. you know, like marathoners, half marathoners, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so um, this is when, when you're sitting here talking to me mm. um, or any of your listeners are, if you like, just hold your hand up and look at your hand in a fist, okay? Mm. Make a fist. That's about how big your heart is, mm. okay? Mm -hmm. And like, just imagine your, your, your hands, your heart and squeezing say once every, you know, second or a little more than that, 60 or 70 beats a minute. And then, um, and it's pumping about five liters of blood around your system every minute. Mm -hmm. Imagine that with your hand. Mm -hmm. Okay, athlete like yourself, you're going out and hard, hammer up a hill hard as you can, a long hill. Mm -hmm. How many liters a minute do you think your heart's pumping out? Oh, like triple that? I don't know. Like quintuple quintuple that wow like 20 for an athlete and, and and elite athletes can be 30 35 i mean i think they measured lance armstrong and miguel indurain back you know back in their heydays uh, in the range of 35 or 40 liters a minute jeepers no you, i mean if you just think about that if you just think about the physics of that like yeah. 10 gallons a minute yeah and your heart the size of your fist is like what that can't be right the point is your heart when it gets in good shape especially it's not only like i mean it it's this phenomenal pump that you know not only squeezes but it, it, it like rings out the blood it pulls in and it actually sucks blood out of the lungs you know it sucks the blood into the heart and pumps it out it's just this like a turbocharged amazing mm. pump okay and it's you know that like when we train up like the hunter gatherers when they you know chase after something or run away from a predator or a, you know somebody who's trying to hurt them um you know they wouldn't run for two hours mm. Mm. they'd run for a few minutes yeah, maybe yeah. 10 minutes but so we're we're meant to have this phenomenal cardiac performance but um but we're not really meant to like try to maintain that and when you do when you maintain this very high output it starts to stretch especially the thin pliable chambers like the atria yeah and and then after about 45 or 50 minutes of strenuous continuous ex uh, exercise we sort of exhaust the circulating antioxidants that buffer 
the stress, the the um, the free radicals that come off, just like you're throwing fire uh, like sticks on a fire, okay, mm. or you're burning gasoline in a in a performance engine. The more you burn, the faster it goes. The more exhaust there is, and those that exhaust, even in the human, you know, in the mammalian physiology, in it, it inherently involves a fair amount of free radicals. Yeah. Our system has is designed for that, mm -hmm. and it's designed to completely buffer and neutralize those for about 45, 50 minutes. After that, we start generating these antioxidants, um, and we don't fully buffer them, these free radicals, and they can sear the inside of our uh, of our arteries and our heart, and and hence that's probably how you end up with trouble. And your catecholamines, your adrenal levels are high, and these and these you know big volumes stretching the heart, um, and especially if you're you know not 25 anymore or yeah. 30. 35 you start put all that together and it's you know it's a bit of a stress on the heart yeah train up for it you can do it you can be phenomenally effective but um as we get older and we become less resilient and less good at, at buffering these uh, free radicals it can cause trouble and so one of the worst things that can happen you know is atrial fibrillation because that can predispose to stroke and i see a lot of athletes endurance athletes because it's one of you know you know I, this is one of my areas of special interest who come to me who have you know or otherwise perfectly healthy specimens you know mm. like you know the middle-aged people who are highly fit they look like a million bucks you know they're fit they, their skin looks great they're you know they got clear eyes they're happy they're you know but they just got a little too many hard miles on their engine interesting so so it's much more of an issue for more experienced athletes kind of in yeah yeah you're pretty much bulletproof from this stuff when you're a teenager or a 20 something yeah yeah now james you mentioned you know that production of free radicals is that we are and um, that almost overwhelms our system over time and that's what's kind of creating the, the damage does that mean that um you know what difference does diet potentially or other stresses or other toxic burden would that make a difference to the level of risk for an athlete or do we not know that? Yeah, we, you know, this stuff, a lot of this, what I'm talking about is speculative. Yeah, you know, yeah. This is all observational stuff, a mm. lot of it's some personal experience of mine. But I must say that the data, uh, I, in my opinion, are pretty consistently yeah. showing this. And I see people, you know, all the time who are, have various troubles from overdoing exercise. Yeah. Now, again, there are, you know, people out there way out on the extreme doing a lot of stuff. But, but no, that's a really good point. Um, you know, some athletes, I've heard this many times, variations of this uh, sort of axiom, they say, yeah, doc, you know, I don't pay any attention to, to diet. I mean, I drink, I drink pot, you know, I drink, uh, you know, carbonated uh, soft drinks, sugared soft drinks, and I, you know, I drink a fair amount of beer, and I do this, but, but if you run the engine hot enough, you can, it'll burn any fuel. Mm, yes, yeah. You know, and that is the, you know, that's this kind of like, damn the torpedoes kind of thing. I'm skinny, I'm fit, I'm strong. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't need, I, I can eat anything I want to. Mm. Uh, that's not true because I do see the people who end up with, you know, problems from overdoing exercise tend to also not be, not be as conscientious about diet. So it does help to eat a high antioxidant diet to avoid sugar, to avoid junk food, to get your sleep, to not be doing, you know, uh, you know, cocaine or methamphetamine. And, you know, in that, in that regard, um, or smoking cigarettes, mm. God forbid. Um, but, you know, things like coffee and tea are high in antioxidants. So yes. as long as you're, you know, doing so much of it, it disturbs your sleep. That, that's, that's a really good, really good beverage for, for an athlete. Yeah. And any supplements, James, that you regularly recommend uh, your patients? And obviously this will be individual, depending on who it is that you're talking to, but do you, do you take any yourself, which you take in the um, on the basis that you know that it's actually well? We presume this is going to be beneficial for the heart. Yeah, well, in the spirit of full disclosure, you know, I founded a supplement company about twenty-two years ago ah. called Cardiotics, and uh, uh, with the idea again that, and I don't get paid anything for this, but I do help them with the um, formulation of their mm. products. You know, find the best products and. Uh, manufactured at the best places around the world so that we kind of best in class but I feel like most most uh, modern people even athletes even conscientious people um, tend to not get as much omega-3 yeah uh, the, the marine 
fats mm -hmm. from deep water fish, for example. You can get them also from plant sources uh, like chia seeds or um, uh, flax seed. Mm -hmm. um, and seeds are great, nuts are great. But I think most people, even if you're eating fish regularly, I think an omega-3 supplement is a good antioxidant. It's great for you know, reducing inflammation mm -hmm. and correlates with good brain and heart health. Mm. Um, the other thing that a lot of athletes do well, and I take, I take an omega-3 supplement. I take, you know, a fairly good dose, like four grams of EPA plus CHA. Mm. Uh, and I also take, um, some magnesium, even though like magnesium, if you're eating a good, healthy diet, the magnesium sources in your diet are things like, like nuts and seeds and, and seafood and fish and legumes and leafy greens. Mm. And these are the healthy planet they also not coincidentally happen to be high in magnesium magnesium is kind of like the antidote to too much salt yeah and and athletes go through a lot of magnesium we sweat out a lot of magnesium and salt magnesium is a really great thing to supplement mm. and take it before bedtime because it can make you kind of sleepy it relaxes you it's a nice natural way to you know improve your sleep without having to get on you know habit forming drugs. I mean, I really discourage people from taking prescription uh, uh, sleeping medications. But so, um, so magnesium is another one uh, that I think a lot of people would, you know, maybe two to 300 or up to 400 milligrams a day of mm. magnesium mm -hmm. um, is, a, is a, a pretty good idea, especially for athletes. Other things, um, vitamin D is really important, especially in the pandemic. And, yeah. you know, I mean, most people need to take maybe, especially these days, um, now in New Zealand in, in the in the summer, like it is, um, you look pretty suntanned. So your vitamin D levels probably just fine, Mickey. But um, but in the winter, especially most people need uh, two thousand units. It's a modest dose, and yeah. there's really no toxicity for a modest dose like like uh, two two thousand units. But most multivitamins only have about six or eight hundred units. So and actually in New Zealand, they only allow up to one thousand international units to be sold in in a kind of an individual dose which i found really interesting there's a lot of seems to be a lot of contention around vitamin d and and the toxicity which is and then you look at people's vitamin d levels if you ever get um, blood tests and they are consistently um either at or around 50 now that that's below that that equates to 30 i think in your units mm -hmm. Thirty or more is um, is is good. Mm. I, I like like forty to sixty. You know, yeah. for most people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in America, I mean, at least thirty percent of people aren't there. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it's it's a common deficiency that's easy to 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 supplement. Mm. James, may I ask? No, you mentioned magnesium, and of course, there are varying forms of magnesium. Oxide and hydroxide tend to not be as well kind of absorbed I mean can people can suffer GI issues do you have a preferred type of magnesium that you would recommend um people look yeah for? so some of them do cause some sort of looser stools uh, magnesium uh oxide and um but then there's there's several different types and and uh, there's one called magnesium three and eight t-h-r-e-o-n-a-t-e that crosses the blood-brain barrier that's a particularly great one for mm. bed if you need to improve your sleep um, but it's much more expensive than the, than the standard, uh, standard, um, magnesium salts. Um, do you know what I do Mickey these days? I've been taking like, um, it's just an old fashioned thing, but I find it to be really effective is, um, I take, I have a big, um, sort of, uh, like a training tub in the basement, you know, like a steel oval oh, thing. Yes. About, yeah. And like, I fill it up with nice hot water and I put like two full cups of magnesium. It's Epsom salts, Mate. mostly magnesium, Epsom awesome. salts. And, you know, that's like this old fashioned sort of like, uh, like folk medicine, you know, for whatever ails you, you'd go to the mineral yeah. baths for high in, in magnesium. Yeah. And you do absorb a lot of that magnesium through your skin. Yeah. And that is a really great way to, um, to get, get your magnesium levels up as well. But, oh, yeah. um, yeah. That sounds amazing actually. And that gives me a little bit of, um, uh, ammunition to take to the husband to continue to recommend us getting a spa pool. I mean, obviously it's quite different, but that warm water thing kind of sort of similar. Warm water, I mean, warm heat therapy is, is really good for you. you yeah, know? yeah, totally. You get, you get then I like to hop out and, and, and take a cold shower for like a half a minute or something and then hop back in there. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, there, there's a, there's a fair amount of good science showing that heat therapy, whether it's sauna or steam or hot tub, uh, is good for you. But I think it's especially good if you can have some magnesium salts in there. Oh no, that's great advice, James. Um, if I ask about the um, atrial fit, the kind of arrhythmias and and things like that, is there any time of any risk with time of day or? Uh, time of year or day of the week because I often hear I don't know whether this is folklore but people say that there are more heart attacks on a Monday than there are like on the weekend or anything there are more you know you you there are more heart attacks on Monday there's more heart attacks in the winter than the summer there's more heart attacks uh, in the the early morning hours like between about two or three in the morning Mm. and um and um, eight or nine, ten in the morning, mm. uh, had to do with um, with hormones, you know, with with mm. adrenaline levels and cortisol levels. And um, but that being said, you know, I tell people the best time of exercise that's time when you can do it regularly and, yeah. and, and, and to have lower uh, rates of sudden death than, than non-athletes. But there is some small risk of of bad things happening. Mm. Um, and um, I think you can mitigate that by you know being being reasonable about it. Don't push yourself if you're feeling sick uh, or if you're feeling tired or you're overstressed I mean be gentle uh, with your exercise Mm. Uh, so but um, yeah I mean if you look at the best time of day to exercise if you look at your hormonal profile when you're best sort of suited to like perform well uh, it would be like mid to late afternoon Mm, mm. it's like the complete opposite of when I like to exercise and but that's fine because it's it's good anytime really compared to not exercising yeah yeah for sure James do you think that I mean there's so much more participation now in events like marathon and Ironman and and trail running is another one although I'm not sure you know to the extent to which the risk would be the same given the intensity for a lot of people is lower but has that seen a a rise in uh, the percentage of people uh, suffering from any kind of heart issues related to exercise? Well, um, it's a very small percentage, okay. like one in several thousand. Mm. And, and they're, you know, often people who are, um, you know, at risk. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't discourage people from, from participating in events. Lots of times that helps them, you know, kind of get motivated. I do discourage people from doing like, like making a career out of running marathons or ultra marathons because to me it's kind of like climbing mount everest i mean you do it you know you could kind of you know feel good about it you accomplish something but you don't go back and do it every year i mean it's risky yeah like it's just a little bit too much uh or some of these are just a lot too much as you know there's just some outrageously demanding Mm. uh, extreme events that are um just not wise yeah, and it's really interesting because a lot of my clients and I, I don't doubt you'll see the same is, you know, people come to me with this goal in mind for an endurance event that they want to do. And it's almost like they are in their mid thirties, they've ticked the career box, they've ticked the family box and they're very um, focused and quite driven. And this is the next thing that they want to kind of accomplish. And that's a certain personality type, right? It's like that type A, it's, they're the ones that will, I mean, this is a generalization, but they'll get up and they'll ignore other physical signs of, of ailment and they'll go out and they'll do that training session, potentially even if their aura ring or their whoop or Fitbit sort of tells them otherwise, you know, like I, I often wondered whether part of the, part of the issue is it's, you know, it is that extreme kind of bunch of people and potentially they're the people that you and I might see a little bit more of than say the, the mass general population who's just out there for the fun of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. you're right. And, and that's how you get injured both, you know, orthopedically and otherwise cardiac, like I, like I call this cardiac overuse injury, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. people who you and I who love to exercise who are familiar with all the orthopedic overuse injuries like shin splints and meningitis mm. and plantar fasciitis and uh, you know uh, well any number of them tennis elbow this I mean I've had nearly all of them but but this is a cardiac overuse injury is like you're starting to get rhythm abnormalities or or it can accelerate calcification of the arteries and um, but um, but yeah so uh, it's one of the reasons that I kind of started writing articles and doing some research on this is because, you know, people who love to exercise lots of times are, you know, cerebral people. These mm. are thinkers. Uh, and, and 
it's there's sort of a logical um, sort of fallacy that people fall into that you know when it comes to exercise, if some is good, if being fit is good, then being ultra fit is the best. Mm. And if running is good, you know, running a hundred miles is the best. Mm. And that's just clearly not the case. Yeah. You know, that is so not the case. And so if you, so a lot of people, I just explain to them, whether I'm writing it or doing a TED talk or, you know, talking to my patients or folks like yourself, I just remind them, if you're exercising for health, then you got to be careful to not overdo it. Yeah, yeah. Half of the population in America underdoes it. Yes. 50%, you know, so 170 million people. Yeah. And there might be one or two percent that are overdoing it, you know, yeah. just a fraction of that. And so the public health message needs to be we need more exercise, but you know, it's more nuanced than that. Yeah, for sure. Often it's the case with public health recommendations. It's you know, like it's it's the same with diet, like regardless of what it was your the public health recommendations were, you know, the standard kind of my plate versus Brazil food guidelines or whatever, they're never gonna suit everyone. There's always kind of nuance out there but there needs to be something and so australia and new zealand follow similar similar principles with regards to physical activity guidelines as do as as um, america does or north america does and i often hear people say oh i went for my 30 minute walk i'm sweet you know i've i've met my recommendations and i just wonder how adequate that is to help reduce risk of you know from underdoing it because 30 minutes a day of activity in an environment like ours just seems pretty low, if I'm honest. Uh, right. Uh, and it is, but, but if you did that on a population wide basis, you, yes. you, know, you would markedly improve health it's in America and, and America is actually relatively active. That's the, our big problem is our diet. You know, it's just, mm. you know, when you look at Americans compared to say like Taiwanese, Taiwanese are yes. very sedentary. Yeah, you know? interesting. People in New Zealand and Australia are among the most active in the world. Uh, really? On, oh yeah, yeah. On a population basis, yeah. You guys are you guys are doing great, but um, but again, you know that J curve it flattens out. I mean, yeah, you know if they were doing a little bit of running, um, they they're 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 um improving the life expectancy might be even a little better. Mm. But I'll tell you what, if you add some things like strength training and, yes. um, and yoga and stuff like that into it, gardening, dancing. Mm. So we've done studies, Mickey, that I think are super important. I try to remind myself of this all the time is um, a, there is a component of exercise that is maybe the most important component of exercise for longevity and mental wellness. And that is play. Yeah. physical interactive play is a mammalian invention tens of millions of years old these mm -hmm. mammals figured this out you know youngsters young mammals do it but even even adult mammals can do it and and uh, and, and um humans uh, like dogs are you know um are sort of designed to play well into adulthood and um there's a there's a great old saying from uh ben franklin who says we don't um, we don't stop playing because we get old. We get old because we stop playing. Yeah, interesting. And what is it about play, James, that that is so protective? Before Mickey, before we had benzodiazepines for 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 stress or or antidepressants for you know boosting your mood or or pain medications, you know opioids for for pain. It's like like play, mm. play and prayer and things like that. Play is remarkably effective at boosting your mood. And it also, you know, it's like, you don't have to twist people's arm mm. you know, workout to go to the gym and, and where you've been working all day. So I'm going to go do my workout, you know, to a lot of people who don't love exercise like you and I do. That's just another task. But if yeah. you find something that feels like fun, that's play, that's social bonding, that's stress reducing, it improves their sleep and then they want to do it again. Yeah. 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 Or two later, physical play, and we did a study looking at various uh, various workouts, various you know people who did different types of exercise, and the ones that involve physical interactive play, mm. uh, tennis, badminton, soccer, golf were at the top. I and mean, if you know running, swimming, cycling were in the middle, like three to four years improved life expectancy. Those play, those interactive play sports, yeah. physical interactive play, was up to like five to up to nine and a half years in additional life expectancy. I mean, just phenomenal. And you know, what was the least effective of all 
triathlon. No, that, that wasn't part of it, but, um, but, but it was, um, gym workouts. Oh, mate. By yourself with your headphones on, yeah, yeah. you know, avoiding, you know, avoiding other people and just kind of, you know, in your own little world, it's like, it's better than nothing. It was oh, like one yeah. and a half improvement, life expectancy improvement, but you know, you're better off going outdoors to exercise and even take your dog with you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Meant, when you're exercising, we're meant to be interacting. Mm. Okay. Mm. Dog or your neighbors or gardening with your plants or you know make it social and make it as fun or playful as as you can you know like so i love to play basketball when i was a kid and baseball all kind of stuff and then i got really serious about triathlon which was fun too because you know you have your community and you do group rides and you know that kind of stuff but most of the time i'd be training alone and then more you know in recent years like after I did the study with some colleagues over in um, Denmark, with their the, the, this long-term study, and, and I, uh, Dr. Peter Schnorr and Jacob Marat, and uh, I kind of started collaborating with them. And this, and we weren't looking for this result. We did this. We just said, okay, we're going to look at all these different sports and activities and see which one correlates best with longevity. And and uh, and we do the data, and Jacob does this complex multivariable analysis. At the top comes out tennis, and second is badminton and third is soccer and then you know and then it's like golf and I said and then and the running swimming cycling are like in the middle of the pack and and then the the weight you know the weights and the and the treadmill stuff indoors is dead last I said oh that's too bad I mean it's like it's nonsense and you know Jacob says well you know these are big data and highly statistical numbers so you can think it's nonsense but like statistically there's something there and then I started thinking about it and I realized this is not about hammering your body into peak fitness it's about playing yeah 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 and i realized i hadn't been playing for a long time i mean and so and i've, I've never been any good at tennis but i thought you know i'd like to play badminton when i was a kid so like i bought a badminton and we've been playing badminton i said badminton and like when my kids are home or my next door neighbor has become my best friend he's from india yeah and um and he and he grew up playing badminton he's an ace at badminton you know yeah yeah and his wife, I'm good at it too and so like we play doubles or singles and we have a blast and yeah. it is true. You come in, you're sweaty, you're playing, you're happy, you're laughing, you know, and I sleep like a baby after yeah. I play badminton. Here, we only play outdoors, so I've not been playing as much, but, but we play like two, three times a week. And I just, it's such a lovely addition to, to, you know, find whatever it is that feels like play to you and, and prioritize it because it, it, it correlates with health, happiness, and longevity. So interesting. And I also also wondered, James, because I know that you've got a, an interest in the brain and, and brain health, and you mentioned omega-3s um, before. Um, how much of the, like the elements of things like tennis and soccer and badminton, you have to think about what you're doing as well, you know? So is there any, I wonder if there's anything there with regards to getting, keeping your brain active at the same time as, you, as your body being active and whether that would also confer some benefit. Of course, we don't know. We can't tease that out, but it's interesting. No, it's, I'm sure it's, I'm sure that's, that's a big part of it because the brain is fully engaged in the social activity and, and you're doing these full range movements, you know, with these, sports, you know, you're kind of lunging, you're, you know, and it doesn't really get your heart rate up in a sustained fashion, but it does correlate with, you know, uh, um, longevity and, and uh, good mood. Yeah. James, do you look at the younger generation and well, like your grandchildren? I'm sorry for interrupting, yeah. but one other point along those lines that you just made is that there was a big study um, uh, that recently came out looking at 4 million people followed for years, and, and they were looking at, um, at um, mental health, and they found that those same sports correlated best. The team sports, the interactive sports correlated best with mental health. Um, so again, the same sort of thing. It's a... It, yeah, and and I was I wonder, James, whether you look at the younger generation now and despair a little bit with regards to the lack of activity, and and not just you know there's less opportunity for them to be active in terms of like um, walking to school or playing with their friends, and not just in this pandemic, but in in general. But then if I think about children and their activities at lunchtime in in some instances they've got devices and they are just sitting there and they're interacting on their 
they're just looking at the devices and they're no longer playing in the school in the school ground or or kicking a soccer ball around and and things like that and I just wonder you know not only of course what it's doing to their physical health to be so sedentary but also just their mental health and well-being and those neurons in their brain firing in a way that kind of optimizes growth and and things like that I often despair about that I completely agree mm. I mean it's a huge deal mm. like phys regular physical activity physical activity is the number one correlate for um good mental health in yeah. in teenage okay yeah for, it's super important and and so many kids not their fault I mean these are kind of these games are sort of you know kind of fun and, and sort of addictive but you know they play and then or binge watch tv i mean these yes. and habits and it's like it you know not only for their physical health and preventing obesity but but even more so for for their mental well-being and, yeah you know, get depressed and suicidal and it's just you can't i mean we are meant to be physical interactive uh, beings and you just can't stay healthy that way uh you just absolutely it's a it's a complete um you know, game changer, you have to, you know, you have to, and I think we'll figure this out, you know, it's like, it's such an instinctive kind of thing, mm. but, but, you know, parents have to remind, and I, I just, yeah, it's just something we need to really work on. It is, and I feel like, I, I agree with you in, in that, you know, I think we will figure it out, but I don't know that we will figure it out, hopefully generations that, kind of, uh, uh, you know, coming through, we'll figure it out. Like I've heard Dan Lieberman talk about um, how humans weren't meant to be, weren't meant to, to exercise, you know, it's not in our innate being to, to exercise or train because we, because we are designed to move, you know, and then any, because we were moving from place to place, we were, either um, fighting for our food or running for our life and then trying to conserve as much energy as possible. So it's no surprise really that we, there are these millions of people who do nothing. Like it's actually more of a surprise that there are people like you and I who choose to be active for the enjoyment of it. So it's finding that avenue with which people, I mean, we're not getting rid of technology. That's not going anywhere and the built environment isn't going anywhere. So it's being smart about how to use these things in our favor, I suppose. Yeah, yeah we need help um, sort of designing our our structure, designing our days, designing, uh, you know, I think you go a long way as, to, as measure, you know, there's the, the, one of the most fundamental axioms of, of um, economics is uh, you, um, the first step in changing anything is measuring it. Yeah. So you sort of Steps, measuring physical activity. You know, a lot of people just don't like to do that, but you're right, we have an instinct to kind of like, you know, save our energy yeah. because we come from our ancestors where they were up moving all the time, 16, 18,000 steps a day, building, you know, their homes, carrying stones, carrying water, you know, procuring food, you know, fighting off, you know, enemies or whatever, you know, they, they were like extremely active people. And so, mm. you know, they, they needed to rest, but, but, and I, th I think that, that the, the people who, um, who do exercise these days are do it because they start paying attention to their body yeah. and they realize, gee, I feel better when I exercise. Yeah, yeah. And then like a lot of things, the more you do it, like you realize like your day, you're just not happy when you yeah. don't move. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you've really been exercising hard, you need a day or two off, you know, but most of the time, um, most of the time it's like, I mean, it's like sleep. Mm. If you're underslept, if you don't get enough sleep, it's hard to be happy. Almost impossibly happy the next day. It's like a baby. You're gonna be cranky. Nap yeah. and you know, take her on a plane. They're gonna be they're gonna cry. They're gonna be unhappy. Yeah, you're like yes. that too. No sleep. If you don't get your exercise, you don't get to play, you're not gonna be happy. Or yeah. healthy. So, you know, you just gotta pay attention to your body and and uh and hopefully hopefully I know it's not gonna be generations because this is so blatantly obvious. I like so. you just gotta turn this around. Yeah. In, in less than in, in less than a generation, about one generation, we went from you know normal weight in America to like seventy percent of us obese and overweight. Mm. Like we just can't keep doing that. No, I, I hear you. But then if you look about smoking, like it took like 50 years or something for it to kind of filter through for smoking now to be kind of thought of as, as what it is, you know, something that kills someone. It just Mickey, this will happen much sooner because oh, so. people don't like being obese. Yeah. And it yeah. bothers them. 
don't yeah. sleep well, they don't look as good, their 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 clothes don't fit. So there's a vanity component too. Mm. And then and just the, the emotional thing. I mean, this is gonna happen sooner than you think. Oh, I really right. hope you're right. Um, James, I have one more topic before I let you go because I know that you've got a busy schedule and it's a short topic, don't worry. Um, it is back to the heart. It's about um, the um, coronary artery calcification, your CAC, your CAC. Like, so what does the research show you know, with exercise and the relationship between CAC, do, do athletes who might have a, a calcium score that is higher than expected for their age group, or even at the level expected of their age group, do they need to worry about, about that? Is exercise protective? Can you just describe any relationship that's known around that stuff? Sure. Uh, coronary artery calcium, you know, we should have soft, supple, smooth coronary arteries, arteries mm. all through. have no, no um, calcium in them. Um, that old term hardening of the arteries is an apt description of what happens with atherosclerosis. These mm -hmm. plaques get calcified and, and the vessel gets hard and I can predispose. It's one of the best markers. I, I, I recommend calcium scores. Everybody should have a cardio scan in middle age, women over 50, maybe men over 40, um, and uh, at least one to, because lots of times you don't know you're growing this stuff yeah. until you look for it. And, and when you know you're growing it, you know there's a lot of things we can do to, to change that around. Um, athletes, especially like endurance athletes have been doing really high volume, high intensity stuff, do tend to have more calcium in their arteries than, um, than age matched controls. Mm. Um, now, so that's the bad news. The good news is it tends to be not as pernicious, not as malignant as calcification in non-athletes. Okay. You know, increases risk, but not as much as it would be in a non-exerciser. You can't regress it once it's there. Okay. We don't go away um but um, um and and some more good news for for females it tends to be more of a male thing than a female thing like interesting like, the, like the, the you know the penalty paid for overdoing exercise whether it's afib or coronary calcification or even short life expectancy is less apparent in female athletes than male athletes mm, interesting testosterone or the beneficial effects of estrogen or you know but it's it's undeniably that's the case and so um yeah, I would say it's just one more reason, you know, you don't need to, um, um, I mean, I think it's just one more reason to be moderate about your exercise. Don't yeah. be making a habit out of marathons and ultra marathons. And I mean, let's tell people, and this is all just, you know, um, somewhat speculative based on best evidence, mm. but I'll tell people like strenuous, hard pounding, sweat producing exercise more than about four and a half hours a week it's probably more than you need. Yeah. You want, you know, from a health standpoint, mm. you start losing some benefit after that. So if you want to do more exercise than that, you know, do more, do things like, like some yoga or yeah. some gardening, walking, or, you know, cause uh, most of the data would suggest that moderate, light to moderate exercise, like activities of daily living more is almost the more, the better. You yeah. Know, you can't, that's not really stressing your heart to, to be doing moderate gardening or walking or, that kind of zone two-ish, zone one, zone two-ish, if we were thinking in zones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And James, any dietary recommendations in and around the, the calcium score? Is there anything from a, you know. Yeah, like we talked about earlier, magnesium yeah, is yeah. an anti-calcification uh, thing. The magnesium up, um, omega-3 helps to prevent plaque to some degree. I don't know. We don't really have any data specifically about cal calcified plaque, but it's good. Omega-3 is keep, good for keeping your brain plump and youthful yeah um we just published a paper you can download um your your listeners can download it's called the pesco mediterranean p-e-s-c-o pesco mediterranean diet with intermittent fasting yes and that's a, a paper published in our uh, biggest uh, uh cardiac journal in the world called the journal american college of cardiology and i published that i wrote that with some of the top experts in the world and it's kind of the best evidence for diet for uh, longevity and general health so you can just look up my name, James O'Keefe, and the Pesco Mediterranean Diet. You can download that PDF, and it has a lot of specific information. Yeah, I've seen that. That would be like a two-hour conversation with you about that um, information. <laughs> I'm curious, is that what you do, James, from a personal perspective? To... That's what I do, yeah. Yeah. Fish, vegetables, nuts, seeds, yeah. uh, water, um, you know, maybe a glass of red wine most nights, um, and, um, you know, a little bit of tea. Coffee kind of bothers me, but uh, hang on. Yeah. Most nights, wine. I would say you know, 
Um, I used to have a glass of wine almost every night. Now it's maybe maybe five nights a week. Yeah. And I rarely have more than nine ounces. You know, so if you added it up for the week, it would be less than seven drinks a week. And I think. If, as long as you keep it under seven or eight for a female uh, and less than maybe 10 or 12 for a male, it correlates with good health. But I never tell people to take up alcohol just because no. it's, uh, you know, it's such a slippery slope. My husband know. edits this podcast for me. He is going to be stoked that you said that. I, I'm going to watch him do it and his eyes will light up in delight <laughs> that you've given him the green light. It's amazing. <laughs> um, James, thank you so much. You're such a wealth of information. And as I said, like when I kind of dug a little deeper into your research gate and, and PubMed, there are just so many topics that you have researched on and published on and you are all over this longevity stuff and the whole like the pescatarian intermittent fasting mediterranean style approach obviously from a heart health perspective a brain perspective alzheimer's that's something i've seen you also write about you've talked about omega-3 threes a number of times and it's you know i curcumin, know you Mickey, uh, curcumin oh yes curcumin for anti-inflammatory or brain boosting thing, especially a curcumin called theracurmin for a Japanese company. Yes. Theracurmin, like amazing. We have this paper coming out that just came out in a journal of Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, if you, if you have family history or if you have ApoE4 or if you have some worries about cognitive impairment or if you have sore joints, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, curcumin. Amazing, yeah. yeah. James, thank you. I'll let you get back to your um, patience. And yeah. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. My pleasure. So team, that was my conversation with Dr. O'Keefe. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I got to say, it was really great to talk to him about things around the lifestyle and the supplement side of things you know because a lot of the supplements that we talked about are things which I would recommend people take for a host of reasons and it's always great that you know and other practitioners who are listening will feel similarly that their practices are in line with some of the top research practices in and around longevity health and heart disease and um, also pretty pleased to hear that James enjoys a red wine most nights of the week uh, because that is something that I would also enjoy most nights of the week uh, so yes now I will put um, some contact information for Dr O'Keefe over on the show notes pretty much um, where you can find him and he's super accessible in terms of um, if you were to reach out which I think is amazing for a guy like Dr. O'Keefe, who is super busy as well. So next week on the podcast, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with Sarah Lake, a practitioner based in Christchurch who is trained in the practice of intuitive eating. Now, Dr. Eric Helms and I talked about intuitive eating on our podcast um, many episodes ago, actually, and I really wanted to speak to someone who is a real expert in the area, and I could go no further than Sarah. And her and I have a really robust conversation around the principles of intuitive eating, how they don't really align with the diet culture and where health at every size sits within that piece as well so I learned a lot from that conversation and I don't doubt you will also until then though you can find me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition on Twitter and Instagram at Mickey Willardin and over on my website mickeywillardin.com where you can contact me direct for consultations or jump on and sign up to my nutrition coaching services. I have plans for fat loss, longevity, I have an athlete plan and also just a plan to help you navigate real food eating in this modern day context. In addition to 28 day meal plans you get shopping lists, you get weekly emails from me which is a bit of a research kind of update, you also get Tuesday night forums and ability to, for me to answer your nutrition related questions 24 7 through our in-app messaging system. And if you do enjoy this podcast, please head over to the podcast platform that you are listening on and review and rate Wikipedia because it's the best way to share the love. Until next time though, guys, enjoy your week. See you later.